the morning show the home team no it's both it's the crossover with sam franco and chris brave crossover step back Right here on 960theref.com. Greetings, 960theref listeners. You are listening to the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. Sam Franco, Chris Brain back with you. And as we have uh, sort of started to get further and further away from our national championship brief, especially looking at the Georgia recruiting class right now with uh, seven five-star recruits as we uh, record this because Brenton Cox got upgraded. Uh, by our friends over at Rival. So Georgia sitting with seven five-star recruits, which would by far be the most any team has ever gotten in one recruiting cycle. Uh, I think the uh, the heartache, which, again, for me, after the national championship game, wasn't really all that strong because of looking towards the future, although it still sucked. <laughs> but it's 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 been a lot easier to get over this loss because of the excitement you have for Georgia going forward. I agree. I mean, but um, to be that close, it's Ooh, still, yeah. I mean, it's going to haunt because, I mean, truthfully, we, we don't know. I mean, I think we all, I, I think everyone would buy stock in Georgia right now and uh, think that, yes, this is a program that's going to be in the playoff. Um, uh, you know, this isn't just a one-time appearance and a one-hit wonder for this team that they're going to be at the uh, knocking on the door and have a chance to finally win that elusive national championship. But just uh, for the way it went down, the you know for who the opponent was, it just it's it's sickening. It's just the <laughs> same team <laughs> keeps winning, and then you know you watch the AFC Championship game last weekend. I was going to say you might not want to hear us talk about the NFL if you're tired of the same team keeping winning. Well, and it was the same. It was. <laughs> A team blows a 20 to 10 fourth quarter lead to the sports reigning dynasty. And it's what Georgia did. It's what Jacksonville did. It was the Ugh. same thing. I'm watching that game. I'm like, I've seen this already yeah. once, right? And we'll dive into that a little more because I have got some very unkind words for that Jaguars coaching staff for what little faith they had in their quarterback. I'm not saying I would have had much more faith than they did, but the way they handled that game was atrocious. And the coaches lost that game, I feel like, for the Jags. So we'll get into that. Uh, you know, we haven't gotten into the Falcons being eliminated from the playoffs yet. So we'll start there and then we'll dive into conference championship games and then take a look at the Super Bowl. But you look at the way the Falcons lost to the Eagles. And again, like I said, we haven't gotten to this yet here on the crossover because of the, uh, the snow apocalypse we faced, uh, last week here in Athens. But, uh, it's, it was just a hard game to take just because you look at, the Falcons having a lead in that game for the most of it and, and getting beaten by Nick Foles. And, and we'll get into Nick Foles here a little bit later, but it was night and day watching Nick Foles against the Falcons versus uh, watching him against the Vikings. But still, he did enough to get his team in position to score points, and that Eagles defense really suffocated Atlanta. But still, to be down on like the two-yard line or even like the one-yard line and have a bunch of cracks to get into the end zone and you're not able to do it, that that just – Look, you kind of look at the play calling there, especially that fourth down play call, and, and you scratch your head. Yeah, I mean, they're rolling Matt Ryan out, and they're stop putting, doing that. <laughs> and they've got the fullback Coleman that split out there wide too. And I don't know what the play was designed to be, but it's just you nobody was open. Why are you rolling Matt Ryan out? Right, he's not a mobile quarterback. And Although I, I have said multiple times that a better play call there, honestly, would have just been to quarterback draw Matt Ryan up the middle. Well, de- the Eagles definitely wouldn't have been expecting that. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that yeah. would have been a better play call than what they ended up doing. I'm not, saying run, it, yeah. I'm not saying it would have worked. I'm just saying that, I mean, if you're going to try to think outside of the box, 
you know, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. And in that instance, it was not good. Well, yeah, I mean, if the play's going to involve Matt Ryan running in some direction, sure. Just Go have forward. Him, just have him run <laughs> straight up the middle and see if the Eagles are completely caught off guard. By uh, taking by some that. stones to call yeah. that. Though. I mean, it's a again, it's a weird. I mean, you and I are are, are different ages, so we probably attack this at uh, from different points of view. But it is hard for someone that's like watched the Falcons for a long time, knowing how hard. I mean, it's it's seriously the Falcons are one of the worst franchises in the history of the NFL. They are, but if you're someone my age or, or even younger than me. They've they've been good, right? I mean, since since they went to that first NFC Championship game in 1998, only Philadelphia has been to more NFC Championship games than Atlanta has. Right, and so I mean, I I get that, but so there's it's it, you know it's sort of like this conflict where any season that ends with the Falcons in the playoffs, I have a hard time viewing as really like a disappointing year. But I get where. But the this te- one was just so sloppy. It felt. I, yeah, I mean, I I know, I get it. You know, coming off a Super Bowl season where they made that run and went and and, and darn near won the thing a year ago to come back and you end up the sixth seed and um, you know losing in the way that they did at Philadelphia, but. But Atlanta was the only team from the NFC that actually made it back to the playoffs from the year before. Um, the Falcons were in the playoffs, so it's it's really hard to you know to consider that a a bust of a season. I mean, again, kind of like where we we think Georgia's going right now. I, I think I think the Falcons are in you know good shape too. Uh, moving forward, I mean, again, that'd be a team and a franchise I'd I'd buy stock in. It really looks like they they're starting to build a quality defense there. There's so much youth on that defense that um, you know, in a the next year or two, I think that's going to be maybe the centerpiece of the of the team more so than the offense. Exactly. So I uh, and that's the thing that you started to see that this year, the transition of Dan Quinn wanting to make this team more in you know, quote unquote, his image. Uh, in terms of being a defensive coach and, and wanting this team to be led by their defense. And they have a lot of good young pieces on this defense. There's no question about that. I mean, I mean, you have two of them that just got named as Pro Bowl replacements in uh, Deion Jones and Keanu Neal. Yeah, in uh, just their second years. Right, and those guys have, have played very, very well. Neal still has a lot to learn in terms of coverage, uh, playing that, that far back in the safety position. But I, I still really like what you get out of him. I like the secondary, you know, uh, with uh, with Desmond Trufant, one of the best lockdown corners in the league. I think Poole has started to play a lot better, and uh, and and Robert Alford gets a gets the occasional penalty. There's no question about it. But I think overall he's still a pretty good player, and the linebacking core. And this is one that really, really made me mad. In Dan Quinn's end-of-the-season press conference after they lost to the Eagles, he says, oh, by the way, we're moving Vic Beasley back to defensive end from outside linebacker. So... <laughs> At defensive end, he led the NFL in sacks in 2016. Yeah. In 2017, you have him as a stand-up outside linebacker in a 4-3, and he had a very subpar season, and he's not getting to the quarterback as much. So you've wasted a year of the development of a young player at his natural position, defensive end in a, in a 4-3, and you've wasted a year at him at outside linebacker where he didn't probably really learn a whole lot because he was uncomfortable in the position, and now you're sending him back so you could have had him at, at defensive end the whole time, and he could have developed at that position another year. Instead, you've essentially just wasted a year of his development. Um, yeah, you're right. But I mean, hopefully, he'll be able to just go back and um, you know plug him right back to defensive end, and you know he's 
he knows that position. That is his natural position. That's I what hope he that's played in college, and he'll be uh, and he'll be fine. But you know, it's it's like again, it's it's funny to like you know the thing about the Falcons and you know this is what a flop of a year. But it's the Falcons. They won a road playoff game and uh, made it to the divisional round of the postseason. And it was it was a bad ending. I mean, it was a terrible sequence, a terrible play call at the end. Atlanta probably should have beaten uh, Philadelphia. And when you think about it, I mean, we were the basically the last play of the game away from the Saints, Vikings, and the Falcons, Eagles, to having the Falcons and Saints playing in the NFC Championship game, which would have been just completely epic to have those two rivals playing for uh, that. But the Falcons couldn't get it done, and the Saints blew it on on that last play, and he ended up with a a blowout of the the Eagles and the Vikings. But, you know, I I think Atlanta's going to be back in the playoffs next season, too. And, you know, I think that's what the NFL really is about. It's just about putting yourself in that position in the postseason and giving yourself a chance and seeing if you can get hot for uh, two or three weeks and and make it to the Super Bowl. And that's basically what Atlanta did the year before because I mean, it went from 11-5 and five to 10-6. and six. There wasn't a huge change in their overall record. No, but it just but, there's just something so much different about the two seasons. Right, but I, yeah, I mean, one ended up in the Super Bowl and a near win, and the other one ended up with a, you know kind of an ugly-looking, painful loss to the Eagles in the divisional round. But I'm just, it's, you, you keep putting yourself in that position and, you know, eventually you'll be able to, uh, to strike there and I think you know if Atlanta gets back next season third year in a row in the playoffs then um, you know if they can get a bye you know get a couple of home games because that's what ended up happening to them the you know the, the last year then um, you know maybe they can make another run they host the Super Bowl we came close to having a a, a home team ho- in the Super Bowl for the first time ever and uh, maybe the the Falcons will be a team that's got a good shot to do it next year right and uh, hopefully they're back and here's the thing I've talked about this before. If the Falcons had made like the NFC Championship or the Super Bowl this season, and you had Dan Quinn making back-to-back NFC Championships or possibly back-to-back Super Bowls, then he probably becomes the best head coach in franchise history. And he he's already flirting with that because you know only two coaches have gotten the Falcons to Super Bowls ever, and uh, Dan Reeves and and now Dan Quinn. But if the Falcons make the playoffs again next season, I mean, this is a team that a few years back had never won back-to-back or never had back-to-back winning seasons and for you to make the playoffs three years in a row I mean that would be remarkable yeah so I mean that's like what ha- what happened a year, a year from now let's say the Falcons are back in the playoffs again and then they you know they have a another loss in the division around are we going to be mad about that or is it like no I mean these are the Falcons it's good they made the playoffs for a third year in a row I mean I guess at some point you're going to want to take that next step. Well, you've got to get, get over that yeah. mentality too I mean you can't just be happy to be there you know and I think the Falcons uh, Dan Quinn said this too in that end of the season press conference. You know he really likes uh, the personnel on this team, and he really likes the way that this team has uh, has developed. You know under his watch. So yeah. I'm excited about the team next year. Looking at the draft, where do you think they need to go? I would say offensive line. I mean, you definitely have to fix the right guard position because Schweitzer was awful, and then Garland came in. It was no better. So. I would think offensive line. I mean, the, I, again, that's the beauty of the Falcons. As I've already started thinking about the the draft, the position Atlanta's in right now, they don't really have any like obvious glaring holes. And so, you know, it's maybe it's about just getting a guy that could be a, a right fit. But 
you know, what they've done defensively. I mean, you can always use good linemen, offensive and defensive linemen, but, you know, the linebacking core is solid. The secondary is solid. I saw, you know, Mel Kuyper's first draft. I mean, if the Falcons draft a wide receiver in the first round, they should immediately fire Dimitrov. I mean, there's no way they're going to draft a wide receiver in the first round. No, I don't think um, they should. I think they could use a wide receiver, but not in the first round. Not in the first round. No. I mean, I, I think tight end might not be bad. I mean, Hooper, that's a good call. Hooper is okay, but he hasn't taken that step to really, like, kind of stranglehold that position here's the thing they could be better there the Falcons there's no excuse especially with Julio Jones having as much attention towards him he only got uh targeted a few times all season in the red zone and he only caught one touchdown all season where he was already in the end zone when he caught it right so that's the thing if he's going to have a lot of attention paid to him down in the red zone that's fine but that's when Hooper Sanu and those guys have to step up and Sanu did give you give him credit he caught a lot of uh the, the red zone targets but where's your tight end you know what I mean? Like, where's the backside of the backfield? I mean, you've got to have more production for other people if Julio Jones isn't going to be targeted in the red zone. Yeah. Um, but again, it not it's not a glaring weakness. I mean, because Hooper's okay. He's, he's decent. But, and I think that's... And Tui Lolo's played well at times. Yeah. But I, and I think that's where the... You know, the Falcons are in a pretty good spot when you look at the roster right now. And, I you know, when you start thinking ahead to the draft, there's not an obvious position that they need to go out and try and find and that's that's offensive good. line again is the one that i think of of all of them that would be the one that's probably yeah. number i don't one. think you could go wrong there like you said the the guard position so guard tight end and then just you know maybe you're whoever you got on your board you think is the best player available at any position well you've only got one more season of tevin coleman before he in all likelihood moves on so maybe running backs one you look at too especially because in that eagles game you're targeting teron ward on some plays in the third and fourth quarter it's like what are you doing? Yeah, and I'm telling you, I've, I'm, I've, I say now over and over. I think you should basically draft a quarterback pretty consistently. And I know that Atlanta doesn't need one, but New England keeps drafting him. And look what they do to him. And they've had Tom Brady, and they've taken Ryan Mallett, they've taken Jacoby Brissett, they've taken Jimmy Garoppolo, and these guys are taking in like the second and third oh, no, rounds I'm, of the draft. I'm with you. I think you you could look at that because worst case scenario. And this is actually a good scenario. Matt Ryan ends up still playing well, and you have a guy who you can trade for something, you know, in the long run. So I think that quarterback, definitely a position to look at. But with Greg Knapp, and I can't believe I'm saying this, with Greg Knapp being named the Falcons quarterback's coach, uh, he worked with Trevor Simeon in Denver, and there's some rumors that the Falcons might be interested in Simeon to bring in as the backup quarterback. So, you know, he's a guy that we've seen out in Denver. I'm not super blown away by him or anything, but... The, the Falcons, this has always been the case with the Falcons. If you lose Matt Ryan for any extended period of time, you're not doing it. No, and any team is basically in that position except for apparently the Patriots. And um, the Eagles and the uh, Vikings because they both got to the NFC Championship game with backup quarterbacks. True, yeah. But um, you know, that's, you know, that's why I feel like if you're the – you know, the thing about drafting your own guy, though, is you've always got potentially this bargaining chip and some trade bait that you could end up – um, you know, flipping for a better draft pick, which New England did not end up doing with Garoppolo. I didn't think they got enough for him. Oh, no, I mean, they, they only got a second-round pick. Yeah, they took him in the second round, got him for the, in the second round, but it'd be like if you I mean, you it was took, a high second-round pick, so basically a back end of the first round. But if you took, you know, if you took someone like in the third or the fourth round and show him off in a couple of preseason games, somebody gets really desperate, then maybe you end up turning him into a second-rounder or something. Yeah, exactly. So Atlanta's got a lot in front of them, but uh, they are no longer around in the NFL playoffs. Uh, the teams that uh, were this past weekend and are for the Super Bowl are where we'll switch our focus now. Where do you want to go first, NFC title game or AFC title game? Well, I mean, the NFC title game is just a blowout. It was, the AFC you, title game's got a lot more, I think, to dive into. I'll say this about the NFC title game. I didn't see that coming from Nick Foles. 
He played really, really well. He made some really good throws in that game. No, he did. And, I mean, he has to be taken seriously in the Super Bowl because the Vikings are the best defense in the NFL this year, and he yeah. picked them apart. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you could look at him in the Super Bowl and think that he's suddenly going to be a, a detriment to Philadelphia's chances. No, and they've got – I like the way that team that team's run. You know, they've got some good backs in Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt, some good receivers, Alshon Jeffrey out there, uh, and Selleck is a good tight end, and Ertz is a good tight end, so – you know, I I like that team. I, I think that they could they could win. I don't think they're going to, uh, but uh, I certainly think that Philadelphia really just came in and completely clamped down anything Minnesota wanted to do. And Case Keenum went back to playing like Case Keenum. Well, I, I I'm surrendering to the Patriots. I thought the Falcons had the better team last year in the Super Bowl. I thought the Jaguars were going to beat them this past Sunday, and I think the Eagles have, um, except in two positions, the head coach and the quarterback. I think the Eagles have a better team than and New England in. does too. And tight end, yeah. Um, but Gronk still unsure if he's going to play or not. Right. And here's the thing: switching gears to the AFC title game because, like you said, not a whole lot to break down from the NFC title game. The Jaguars' coaches lost in that game. Fifty-five seconds to go at the end of the first half. The Patriots had just scored a touchdown, gotten momentum. What do the Jaguars do? Take a knee. That's cowardly. With fifty-five seconds, this isn't thirty twenty seconds. They took a knee with fifty-five seconds left, and I think that and a timeout. And a timeout. And a timeout. You're totally right. That completely shook Blake Bortles. Because here's the thing. He had a pretty decent first half. He was 13 out of 15. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Against the Patriots on the road in the AFC Championship game. So when you don't give him a chance to go out there and try and get your team in field goal position to at least get a field goal, that does two things. One, tells the other team, you're shook, you're scared. You know what I mean? So the Patriots had you on the ropes in terms of getting momentum by scoring that touchdown at the end of the half. And you're sending a message to them like, all right, we're fine just taking the knee and getting to the, getting to halftime. But you're also sending a message to your own team, and specifically your quarterback, we don't have any confidence in you. And what happened to Blake Bortles in the second half? A, they continue to show no confidence in him. And B, he didn't have any confidence. No, because and- that's the thing. Your team has told you we don't believe in you. So what are you supposed to do? And then the fourth quarter, they had uh, the, their play calling was predictable on first down. The Patriots knew exactly what was coming, and they kept giving it to Fournette. He had one, he had a one yard run, he had a two yard run, he had a negative one yard run, and all of a sudden, you're second and eight, you're second and nine, you're second and eleven, and then you're in a position where they feel pretty good that Bortles is going to throw, and that's where he struggled. You look at when they passed on first and ten in that game, they had a ton of success, mm-hmm. but they just they got scared, and they wanted that clock to run fast. They had the lead. They tried to sit on it. They tried to pound it, but the Patriots knew it was coming, and they really didn't have any success all day running the ball on first down. I mean, New no. England did a, I mean, New England was ready for it. They were prepared for it, and... Fournette still had over 100 yards and some touchdowns. I mean, he, no. had a, he still had a great game. He did, but I mean, you look at his first and 10 runs. He had, his, he had one 13 yard run on a first and 10 but his other first and 10 runs New England was ready for it he was getting a yard he was getting two yards but it was it was Bortles it was 13 out of 15 that was bailing them out on second long and third and long early in that game and another cowardly act by the coaching staff of uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars third and 11 this was the third down that the Jaguars had before the Patriots ultimately went down and scored on the Danny Amendola touchdown to, to win the game third and 11 they run a draw play Third and 11 is not one of these down and distances, especially in that instance where you're running a draw play. You have to let your quarterback try and make a play, move the chains, 
and keep the ball. It was almost like they were they literally just laid down. It was like it was like you know they didn't turn the ball over once in the postseason, no. not once in three games. They had zero turnovers, but they ba- it, essentially turned the ball over. It's well, it's almost like they were they're sitting there thinking, you know, Blake hadn't thrown an interception yet. I mean, he's going to throw an interception, right? He's going to throw so <laughs> like you know, like so here it is, third and eleven. This is when he's going to throw that interception. But um, I'll tell you when I, I as someone who had the Jaguars plus seven and a half. Let me tell you how thankful I am that Deion Lewis picked up that first down at the end of the game instead of because if New England had punted that back, I guarantee you there would have been the pick six the other way and New England would have won by they would have won by eleven or they would have been that sack fumble they'd have scooped it up and scored and ended up covering. I could smell that coming. I'm pretty sure I tweeted something like that. It's like here comes the inevitable Blake Bortles. Yes. So when he when he just picked up that first down and then they took knees, I was like, thank goodness because I just if if Jacksonville had gotten the ball back and they start they got in that mode where they were going to no. pass and New England knew it was coming I guarantee a defensive touchdown well, was going to happen I remember the specific tweet I when Deion Lewis picked up the first time I go well Deion Lewis has now spared us from the inevitable Blake Bortles interception because that's totally what would have happened yes and they would have won 31 to 20 yes yeah but they didn't end up doing that and and look I think Jacksonville I saw a tweet yesterday that said Jacksonville needed to play a perfect game they played about 95 percent of a perfect game yeah, and the five percent of the time they didn't, they messed up. One hundred percent of the time, the Patriots made them pay. And a hundred percent of the time, it was on the coaching staff because they 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 were too scared. To, and here's the thing: this Jacksonville Jaguars team, especially their defense, was led by their swagger and their confidence, and 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 the, those predictions that they made and, and those things. They were a team that fed off of that. And you know what their coaches did in this game? Exhibited zero of that. No confidence, no swagger. They played very conservative, boring football. And in the end of the game, at the end of the first half, it cost them dearly. Well, yeah. I mean, how about punting with a running clock and not just letting it run down to two minutes? And they gave the Patriots one more play before the two-minute warning. Ridiculous. And that's the thing. I mean, that just goes to show Doug Marone is nowhere near the level of head coach that Bill Belichick no, is. But no, I mean, no one is. I well, mean, no. that was really, to me, that was the biggest gap last year between the Falcons and the Patriots. I thought the Falcons were going to win the Super Bowl last season. I really did. But, we um, all did. But as the two weeks kept passing, I mean, going along, when I kept, like, kind of handicapping it and sizing it up and thinking about uh, the different mis- matchups and the positions, the one that there was no doubt was the biggest gap in that game was Bill Belichick against Dan Quinn. And, you know, in the end, here were the Fal- the Falcons were snapping the ball with like 14, 15 seconds left on the play clock when they were up 28-3, to just leaving way too much time. And, uh, you know, we all know how the end of the game and the sequence unfolded after that Julio Jones catch that uh, looked like the Falcons had survived that rally and were going to end up winning anyway. And the next thing you know, they're... Uh, you know they're getting sacked, they're getting a holding penalty, and they're they're punting instead of kicking a field goal that would have put them back up by two possessions. But it just it comes down to that. It's Belichick, and it, there's you know just a voodoo that comes to play in New England. But you screw up once, and they will make you pay every single time, no matter how much you're dominating that game. And Jacksonville was that was a completely lopsided first half. Jacksonville was the better team. But right there at the end of the half, they messed up just once, and New England was able to cash in with a touchdown. And you know, you're the Jaguars, and you've dominated the game. But oops, it's only fourteen to ten. New England's right there in it now. All of a sudden, yeah, exactly. And I wanted to point to one thing too. After this game, you know, obviously there was a lot put into Tom Brady playing with the stitches on his hand, and 
there were times where people were like adjusting it and everything, but he, he didn't look any worse for wear. I mean, that, that was probably way overblown or way more overblown than it needed to be. But Bill Belichick, after the game, when somebody asked him about Brady, he goes, yeah, we all know how tough he is, but he, this wasn't open heart surgery he had or anything like that. So, like, it's like, good God, and it's the way he said it. It's like, there's definitely something to the the rift of the Patriots. I, I Again, I think they're all professionals, and they can all still go out there and do their jobs, which is what they're going to do in winning the Super Bowl. And, yes, I said that because nobody thinks that Philadelphia is going to beat New England in this game. But, I mean, Bill Belichick, man, that, that guy is just cold. I just like how he looks. Um, you know, he he's he looks disheveled. He was wearing that. Uh, it was like one of those sweatshirt T-shirts with like the sleeves cut off of it. He just, uh, you know, he looks like a mess. But you know, the guys, I, yeah, I, I guess he's he's the greatest football coach ever. Is what he is. He's been to. This is going to be his eighth Super Bowl. Well, he's the greatest NFL coach because you, you don't want to besmirch Lord Saban over there in right. Alabama. I mean, yeah. By the way, we were looking at this earlier on the morning show, and uh, when Nick Saban was uh, Belichick's defensive coordinator of the Browns, he said that was the most miserable four years of his life. Saban said Saban that? Said yeah. That. Well, now it's like funny because I think Saban assistants say that about working for him. <laughs> of course. I mean, I was like, Lance I mean, look, Brian is, Dayball couldn't get out of there quickly enough. Yeah. And then Lance is down there in uh, Boca Raton now, basically saying that's how the assistants felt. It's just like, it's just miserable there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the that's the thing. I mean, uh, he, he wants his ship run a certain way. There's no question about that. So as we shift gears here and look towards the Super Bowl, you've got the Patriots and the Eagles. By the way, I think as soon as Donovan McNabb found out that there was going to be Patriots and Eagles, he probably got a little nauseous. Yeah, did he vomit again? He might have vomited again. But uh, it's an interesting matchup to say. I mean, if if you say Minnesota had the best defense all year, Philadelphia is certainly close. I mean, their defense is really, really good too. Yeah, I'm telling. You, I think I I think Philadelphia is overall they've got the better team. And but I I, I like I said I surrender to New England because I thought the Falcons were better last season and I thought the Jaguars were better Sunday. But um, in the end, New England just keeps winning, and I imagine they'll they're going to end up winning the Super Bowl again. But because it is, it's just. Bill Belichick, Doug Peterson, Nick Foles was great the other day, but it's Brady against Foles. Well, and the and Jaguars, just... here's the thing. They were better than the Patriots at every position on the field, and I think you already said this, but quarterback, and coach, coach, maybe tight end as well, but Gronk was out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. You didn't have to deal with it's that. It's the as same much. thing with Philadelphia. And, you know, maybe one or two Patriots offensive linemen would start over somebody on the Jaguars. But, no, I mean, it was coach, quarterback. And that just proves how important that is in this league and more so than any other reason, that's why I'm picking the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. Well, right, because Jackson- they've got the coach and they've got the quarterback. Because yeah, Jacksonville couldn't trust their quarterback with 55 seconds at the uh, at the end of the first half in a timeout. And, and you think Doug Peterson's going to trust Nick Foles in that same situation? I don't know. Uh, maybe you know, maybe he'll take some lesson from watching Jacksonville. I but don't. Foles was really good against Minnesota. We yeah, I mean, I can't discount that. Foles is better than Blake Bortles. So oh, I, I, mean, I agree. Maybe he would. Yeah. I mean, and Bortles just had a, a really good postseason, but and we saw. I mean, that's the thing. In 2013, we've seen flashes of Foles being really good. I yeah, mean, I mean, you know, they made Chip the Kelly, he was Chip very, Kelly. very good. So I mean, that's the thing. I think Nick Foles can win this game for the Eagles. Well, I think their defense in combination with Nick Foles playing well can win. Do I think it's going to happen? No, because I think Gronk's going to play, I, and I think he's going to have a very big game. But even if he doesn't, 
I mean, the Patriots just seem to have receivers that can make big plays crawling out of the woodwork. Yeah, keep in mind, though, you know, of of these eight, well, seven, this will be the eighth, of the seven Super Bowls this Brady-Belichick dynasty has been in, the their biggest margin of victory in them is six points. And that was last year in overtime in a game they trailed 28-3. to So, you know, when you're looking at the point spread right now that's sitting around six and a half, maybe you can get it at seven points somewhere. So it got down to five and a half, and then it's gone back the Even other way. Even five and a half, but yeah, I mean, they've won by, what, three, three. Uh, they beat Seattle by four. And it, last year in overtime, Atlanta by six is the biggest mark. <laughs> Oddly enough, the, the game they trailed 28-3 to three is the one Super Bowl they've won by the largest margin. So it's not like New England has gone into all these games and just demolished everyone they've played. Oh, yeah, they did lose two of them, too, to the Giants. They by, did. Yeah, by three and four-point margins. So none of these games that New England's been in have been decided by any more than six points. And that's why I thought Jacksonville might have had a chance against New England because who's running Jacksonville? Tom Coughlin. Well, they, to <laughs> me, that team was built similarly to mm-hmm. uh, to those Giants teams. And, you know, even if the idea was like, there's no way Blake Bortles is going to go into Foxborough in January and win a playoff game. Mark Sanchez did once. So if you thought that was going to be the one thing that was going to hinder him, uh, it wouldn't be, and as it turned out, it wasn't. But, you know, in the end, still, New England found a way to, to get up and survive that game because it was one-sided in the first half. There was Jacksonville was hands down the superior side. So you're picking New England in a close game is what I'm hearing from you. I guess. I mean, I really, I think, I, honestly, my my – I, I I think Philadelphia is going to win, but I'm just not going to say that anymore because oh, I just know in the that. I just know in the end that New England's going to. I here's what I'll say. I'm I think, going, look. If, if, I think Philadelphia has the better team. If Philadelphia wins this Super Bowl, the rage I will feel towards the Atlanta Falcons will not be able to be measured properly. Right, because the Falcon, then you just feel like the Falcons completely whiffed and missed sure, an opportunity. The Falcons would not have beaten New England though. Probably not, especially with what happened last year. But, and what happened earlier this year in Foxborough, too. That's true. Forget. That's true. But uh, I, I'm going to go 24-14. I think the Patriots are going to win. And uh, I just – I don't know. I, I think that Tom Brady is playing like a madman right now. You know, he, he's got this whole – just – I don't know if it's, if it's us against the world. I don't know because everybody hates them. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's this whole – Everybody thinks the Patriots are going to lose because of all this disruption and what happened. And, and maybe Brady has something to prove to Belichick because Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo, it seems. I mean, these are just what we're hearing based on reports. Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo. There was a mandate from up high and Bob Kraft saying, you got to trade him to make Brady feel more comfortable. So maybe this is Brady's way of proving, hey, I'm not too old. I'm, I can still go get this done. So that's why I think the Patriots are going to win and, and – Again, it's it's Brady and Belichick versus Foles and Peterson. If they win, maybe Brady will just retire and leave, and leave them in a lurch then. Ah, Ooh. Too bad you traded Garoppolo. I'm retiring. That would certainly be interesting. All right. That wraps up this edition of the crossover. We'll be back next week. I don't know what we'll be talking about because nothing will happen other than the Pro Bowl between now and then. Maybe we'll get some availability on Gronk. Maybe we can talk some prop bets. That's always fun. Yeah, prop. I mean, I'm if Gronk plays, I, th- I would look at his uh, prop bets because the uh, Eagles in two games, well, three games, they had uh, Travis Kelsey and then the two games they play Washington with Jordan Reed. Both uh-huh. of those guys are Pro Bowl uh, tight ends. Both had huge games against them. So you got to watch out for Gronk. And so we'll uh, we'll get into some more Super Bowl talk as well as uh, plenty 
of other stuff here on The Crossover. He's Chris Brame. I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame on 960theref.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.